welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Welcome everyone to another DIFF podcast. Today we are going to be exploring accent bias. George Bernard Shaw famously wrote, it is impossible for an Englishman to open his mouth without making some other Englishman hate or despise him. This quote shows us the enduring power of accents to position us in the social world and particularly the business and professional world by communicating information about our background, our upbringing and the communities we belong to. The UK has some of the highest levels of accent diversity in the English-speaking world. These include traditional accents like Scouse, Geordie, Brummie, Cockney, and of course, received pronunciation, to newer accents like Estuary English, Multicultural London English, and British Asian English. There is no doubt that accent bias exists and can have a significant impact on career progression. And this has been shown by a major recent study. Everyone likes and trusts the Geordie accent, and it's fine for Anton Deck to appeal to the masses, but it could hold you back in the upper echelons of academia and the corridors of power, in this country at least. In her book, There's Nothing For You Here, Fiona Hill, County Durham-born expert on Russia and Ukraine, discusses how she felt the need to go to the States where her accent was not a hindrance. She went on to serve the intelligence community and three American presidents on Russia and famously gave evidence against Donald Trump, all done in a great Northeastern accent. And it's not just a British problem. We have enjoyed the benefit of our own Esther Dextra choosing to leave her native Netherlands, partly because coming from where she did, Twente, her accent could have held her back. Apparently, it's the Dutch equivalent of very, very broad Welsh, and actually one that she shares with Eric Ten Hag. Joining me today and sharing their experiences are two leaders of the intermediated mortgage market, unquestionably on top of their game and deservingly respected by absolutely everyone. So to start with, we have Mortgage Director of Santander UK, Brad Forden. Brad was born in Finsbury Park, North London, near Highbury, as he's very keen to point out, it wasn't actually in a park, and was schooled at St Mary's Hendon and the School of Hard Knocks. We are also joined by CEO of Simply Biz Mortgages, Martin Reynolds. Martin was born in Coesley, as in Tipton and Coesley Building Society, heart of the black country, and schooled at Mount Pleasant Primary School, Coesley Secondary School, and High Arkle Sixth Form. Welcome, gentlemen. So we've had a chat before, and you've both had issues, and I hope you're not going to put on some kind of false posh accent just to sort of make sure that this is an awkward podcast, because I'm, I'm ready for that one. But can I go on just to ask you in your own words, if you start with Brad, how you think 
your accent has impacted you in your career, obviously not entirely to the detriment because of the position you're at, but if you could just run us through how you've been made to feel or how you have felt. I guess for me, it's probably not just the accent, although the accent plays a very big part of it or a significant part of it. But in my earlier career, when I joined Santander Abbey National as was, I managed branches. So I, was a, I joined as a branch manager. So I managed branches in Cheam in Surrey, Brixton, Woodgreen in North London and various different locations. And I guess you or I, you get or people have a perception of you, which is then quite hard to shift. So I guess my perception or perception of me at that time was a guy who wasn't university educated. I wasn't part of the graduate intake. And at the time, you know, we used to take quite a few graduate trainees into the business, into the retail business anyway. So not university educated, had an accent, a North London or a London accent. And kind of, I guess there's that, I guess, perception of a a bit of a wide boy, seen as a bit of a wide boy, you know, a kind of, I wouldn't say a a Dell boy as such, because he's from South London and South London, North London, as we know, Barry is very different. So you get kind of labelled a little bit, I think. And that certainly, I believe, was something that happened to me. And it's not until either, in my case, somebody sees past that and gives you a chance to show that you can progress and, and do something different and do a bigger job and so on. So, yeah, I think it's all part of that kind of makeup. And, and I know we've spoken previously before on on kind of social mobility and stuff. So, yeah, it definitely plays a part. And Martin, I mean, I know, in fact, you've shared with me what people have said to you in the past about your accent. Do you want to sort of like tell us that story or just tell us what it was like growing up and doing your job with the accent that you have? Yeah, it's an interesting one because... I even found that accents very close to home were very different. So obviously growing up in the black country, my first real job was in Birmingham, 12 miles away. And even when I got there, I was asked to temper my accent because the people from Birmingham couldn't understand me. So obviously from an early work career, it was very much. And then going back out with my friends later on, they told me I'd started talking brummy as well. So I was getting it from both sides in that early career. But I think after that, I probably didn't notice it too much until I got a job that became more national and that's when you you start to come into a lot more people that obviously have a different accent so when I sort of started up the the corporate accounts team at BM Solutions and and then started traveling a lot more it became more noticeable that people would make more comments so I think for me a lot of it is has it stopped me getting where I wanted to no I think it may have slowed the progress of that and I think touching on what Brad said of of getting people to believe that you're something from beyond the accent and not people taking the unconscious bias of what the sound of an accent could actually mean to you as a person. Did you not tell me that somebody once told you that you would never make a chief executive with a black country accent? I had it referred back to me, not directly, that yes, I wouldn't make it. I think it was also the hair at the time as well, which was slightly spiky. But yeah, definitely said, how can you imagine somebody with an accent like that actually running a business? So let's flip the thing on its head for a bit. Do you think in any part of your career that your accent has actually helped you? I mean, certainly just to, to give you, you know, where I'm coming from with this is when we did a podcast with Dina Budia, she found you much more approachable rather than some of the other people that were managing Abbey National at the time, partly, I think, because of the way you spoke. I think it can do certainly with your team. If you're managing large teams or reasonably sized teams, then I guess people will view you within the team anyway as being maybe more approachable, maybe more 
down to earth, maybe a little more real, which certainly when you're leading a team, I would say helps because from a leadership directional basis, people will listen to you more and understand that you, I wouldn't say you're one of them in a way, but and certainly for me, because I wasn't university educated, that people could see that you can progress and actually you can be successful in a large organisation, even if you have an accent. So I think it helps you from that perspective. I'm not sure it helps you when you go into board or exco. I mean, I do remember you telling me, Brad, that it took a while before you felt that your opinion carried the weight it deserved in things like risk committees because of your accent. Certainly people view you in a certain way. I think that's just the way it is. And as I said previously, I think if you went to private school, you have a certain accent. And I think whether this is fair or not, I guess probably isn't, but it's kind of carries a certain credibility. If you sound very articulate, even though you might be spouting absolute nonsense, you sound like you know what you're talking about. I, I think there's definitely some credence to that. And I guess from my perspective, probably people look at you slightly differently. If you don't sound like that for sure. Certainly in the professions in this work that was actually done on accent bias, it was found that people preferred their professional people, accountants, solicitors, etc., to actually speak in received pronunciation. They actually had the same phrases spoken in different accents and they asked people to rate which one they would actually prefer to go to. And, and you're absolutely right, but they all went for the one with received pronunciation. But I suppose from your perspective, when you're leading a team and you haven't got a posh accent, everybody can be sure that you got there because of your abilities and you didn't get there because you talked in a funny sort of way. Was there any positives for you, Martin? I mean, especially before you went into a national role, were you believed more? Were you trusted more because you had a local accent and you were speaking with local businesses? I think as Brad says, they feel like you're somebody that's from within their own community. So therefore, there is a little bit of that that they feel relaxed, that you probably understand what they're talking about and where they're coming from. I think from a senior management point of view, when you got to that level within certain places, then the sort of upbringings were slightly different. So you will have a lot of people that were from uni. So I think coming with a a more insular upbringing of initially never really leaving the black country apart from to go to Birmingham and not doing a university 100 miles away and having that nuanced accent maybe that comes from that. I don't know whether it's the people in the room don't take you seriously or whether you feel because you're the only one in the room like that that they're not taking you seriously. I think there's a mixture of both there. So I think it's partly having the confidence in yourself as well. So when we were speaking earlier preparing for this, Martin, you used the phrase not me you used the phrase dummy brummy do you think that certain accents are specifically in the uk do come with a certain mix and perception so friendly geordie dummy brummy do you think that's a strong thing in business even I think it can be perceived as that, yeah. But that's coming from maybe characters that are from comedies or from TV shows, etc. that stereotype certain parts of the country and certain accents with the country. So therefore, when you go to other parts of the area, you end up just being part of that stereotype. So I think it can be used. And I think you do have to get over that. And 
most of the time you just laugh and just carry it off because it's not worth arguing over that point when it's the first time that you've met somebody. So I think there are certain stereotypes that you do have to breach and that's normally quite easily done after the first sort of couple of minutes of a conversation. But it's one of those that can be frustrating at times. I'm assuming that it doesn't really matter now. Your accents in your current roles, your positions have gone beyond the perception of other people that has taken from your accents. Would I be right in considering that? I think it still depends on who you meet. If you're still meeting people for the first time, even though they know your position, I think some people can still have a look of surprise as to maybe how you speak and and what they were expecting you to say and how you said it. But I think the fact that both Brad and I have been in the industry more years than we care to remember, most people know of us or have seen us. And probably doing things like this and a lot more webinars than historically, he's probably got the accent out there a lot more. Whereas probably earlier in my career, it basically just was the written press and then online. So your voice wasn't heard until they met you. It is interesting. Neither of you have ever ameliorated or your accent hasn't sort of gone. I mean, Brad, yours wouldn't because you're in London still. But I have been told very, very often that my accents changed completely. So when I first came to London from Manchester in the 80s, I sounded like a slightly less nasal Terry Christian. Now, over the next sort of 30, 40 years or so, it's changed. I don't seem to have much of an accent, although I still say bath and I still swear with very, very harsh vowels. But this is more a question for you, Martin. Have you ever considered doing whatever elocution lessons mean? Would you ever change your accent or do you find it that would stop you from being truthful and honest to yourself and indeed you now it's part of you and part and defines part of who you are no i've never thought of having elocution lessons it's me it's who i am i'm proud to be from the black country it's got a great heritage and i love being from there i suppose it has been tempered over time it, it's not as broad as it was when i first started work and it's probably not as broad as it is when i go back to the black country and see family and friends over time but i suppose it's also similar to brad is that the farthest i've lived away from the black countries where I am now in South Warwickshire which is not exactly too far away and most of the head offices of the businesses I've worked for apart from where I currently are have still been in the Midlands so from a day-to-day point of view I've probably still been surrounded by people with similar accents to me on the work side apart from when I go external so that's probably why the accent stayed a little bit more truer than if I moved somewhere much further away. I'm with Martin, Lara. I think subconsciously you do temper your accent. Not, I'm not saying this to Martin directly, I'm just saying generally. I think that happens. It certainly happens with me. And I know it wasn't until, interestingly or not, when we went into lockdown in the pandemic, and certainly I didn't work from home then, I used to go into the office every day. But then starting to do meetings and calls on Teams, et cetera, and Zoom during the pandemic, and I was at home, and my wife, who's from Yorkshire and not a Londoner, but she said, oh, my God, you don't talk like that at home with the kids and with friends, et cetera. And I was like, no, I do. This is how I talk. I don't change how I talk. And she says, no, 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 you you are definitely different. When I hear you on those calls, you sound different and not as, I guess, kind of, you know, whether you say I have a London, you know, a London accent or Cockney accent, whatever, but a London accent. So I think you do. I wasn't aware of it. I didn't think I did. But she says I do. But I think to Martin's point, again, you know, when I'm talking to my friends who are from London and or I'm talking to family, then I think you do talk slightly different. You are probably right. I mean, I remember when in the first days of me moving down here, you get stuck in two worlds like I think you mentioned earlier, Martin. I was too northern for London and I was too southern for Manchester. So 
for quite a long time, there was a sort of accent sense of non-belonging. One of the reasons we did this podcast was a conversation I had with a BDM waiting to be interviewed for a British Mortgage Award. And when I was just chatting to him about what great industry it was and what did he feel he wanted to do and achieve, one of the things he said, he goes, well, I've got such a stranded accent. He was from the Northeast. He goes, I'm all right where I am because I don't want to and don't think I can apply for any job or work down south. He just didn't think he could do a kind of business development role down south. What kind of advice would you give to that person, Brad? I think obviously I'm going to say that it doesn't matter what your accent is, you can work wherever. It's, I would, certainly from my perspective, I'd employ somebody. And we used to have in the bank, actually, more people coming down from the north to the south, basically because of staff turnover. And we had more opportunities in the south, just more branches. We have more of a southern footprint in a branch footprint in, in Santander Abbey as was. So we used to bring quite a few people down from the north. And to be fair, they'll say differently, but I don't think their accent held them back when they came to London, probably because there's maybe a more of a mixture of people and much, much more diverse crowd in London than elsewhere. But I don't think it did. So, yeah, I would encourage anybody that, you know, I think that's just yourself kind of holding yourself back. But it takes somebody to change that person's mindset, doesn't it? You know, that was his perception of himself and his perception of what he felt was possible for him. It takes somebody to to help somebody like that change their mindset and go for it if there's an opportunity. Excellent advice. So just one question, Brad. Was it Miguel who was the person that sort of like allowed you to flourish in the upper echelons of leadership? No, it wasn't actually, although he has allowed me to flourish. Because I was just going to make the point that perhaps being Spanish, he was deaf to your very, very London. <laughs> he was slightly deaf to accents, to be fair. We used to talk about this. It was speed of talk for him, just obviously a second language and... He found some accents more difficult than others, but that wasn't a bias or any way that's just, you know, I guess, listening and talking in a second language. No, it was a gentleman called Nigel Moore, who at the time was a divisional director. This is a, probably about in the year 2001, I think, 2000, 2001. And I was a branch manager in Wood Green, and I was looking after two or three branches at the time. And he gave me the opportunity to do an, a regional manager position on secondment in North London. And it, it was him, really, because at, at that time, I'd kind of been at that level for a little while. And I kind of thought, is it going to happen for me here? Am I going to get the opportunity to become a regional manager, which at the time was like something I really wanted to do and saw as a real aspirational move for me. So, yeah, he trusted in me to do that. It was interesting because it was me and another individual called Tracy Wilson. Um, and Tracy was based in East London. So you kind of had Tracy over in East London and me in North London. And yeah, he gave us both an opportunity and, and both went on to do OK in the role. We, we were fairly successful. So. It was a great move, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of forever in Nigel's debt. And Martin, do you, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you echo the advice that Brad is, would be giving to a regional BDM, but do you also have somebody who saw past your accent? Yeah, I think so. I think definitely the advice, I think when I started being more national, that there was still a plethora of southern account managers that didn't like to come to distributors in the Midlands and, and northwards. I think over time now, you look at heads of key accounts and key account managers there, you know, they're based in the West Country, Northern Ireland, Liverpool, the North East, Yorkshire and Scotland now. So I think all those accents are out there and it's very much more open and nobody seems to mention it and talk about it and it works well. So I'd say to that person, definitely go for it. It's now down to the skill set and the desire is more than that. And I think, as you say, yeah, definitely people spotting something in you. So I think from my BM days, the early person was Dan Watkins. 
who ran the treasury function and the finance function and then took over products where I was at the time and then became MD before he uh, he moved on. So he was very much about skill set and knowledge and desire to learn rather than how you spoke. So you know the little challenge I've set you, so I just want you to bear that in mind, right? Okay, because we're going to come to that in a minute. So we've established that there's the thing as access bias, it can hold you back. It shouldn't stop you, but it could slow you down. How mindful have we got to be not to jump to those conclusions? I'm asking you, Brad, because you had an occasion in Middlesbrough where what you heard or what you saw didn't actually fit together. Yeah, when I was up there recently, there was a guy there who spoke really well. So, And I've just fallen into that trap right of saying someone who speaks really well, articulate, because you do, and I was going to say this myself, I sometimes, I know we've just moved house or about four or five weeks ago, and we went to our neighbours on our second evening, they invited us around for a drink, which was really nice of them. And we met their three kids, and one was at uni, but had come back down for the weekend, and then the other one was at school, and went to a private school, and they didn't have a, a London accent, albeit we're in Hertfordshire, but still kind of similar accents, but didn't have a London accent. And my wife says to me afterwards, oh, didn't their boys speak really nicely? And I was like, yeah, they did. So even I, against kind of what I've been saying about my accent, you still in your mind have that you're kind of conditioned to think that if you speak in the Queen's English really nicely, you've been to a private school, there's that kind of sense or aura aura around someone but that perception or that impression that they give so yeah and similarly as you just said there there was a guy who was from the south and he'd gone up to uni uh, up in the northeast and then he'd stayed up there and started working in one of our contact centers in Teesside and yeah again he didn't have an accent as such he didn't even have a southern accent or whatever he spoke I thought you know I said oh he's really articulate and then again you kind of check yourself don't you because you sort of think well, why should that really matter? But he did stand out, obviously, there because the majority of the team up there speak with a, a northeastern accent. I mean, it's interesting. When I was speaking to Chloe Hilton, who the remarkable lady who was a relatively female, relatively senior position in LNG surveying services, and part of her role was actually going into people's houses and surveying. And she always said she, especially working in London, which you mentioned doing it was always good. They were always more friendly to her than some of her colleagues because she had a Birmingham accent. And they thought, oh, she's more approachable. She's not a stuffy, snotty surveyor, blah, blah, blah. I can speak to her. And everybody knows somebody from Birmingham. And she said she got into conversations a lot easier. And I suppose that might be, in certain positions and certain jobs, a trade-off where a regional accent does make you more approachable and friendly and less officious. So would you have any opinions on that, Martin? Because your accent isn't anywhere near as strong as I first met you. I remember sharing a bus with you from one pub to another in the BM days back in the 90s. And all I can remember is I thought you were really bright, but really only understood every third word you said. Thanks, Brad. That was probably as alcohol kind of impair accents as well and make them go a little bit more broader I think sometimes no I think just the fact that you do end up speaking more often to people you tend to slow down a little bit how you speak as well which I think then can sort of neutralize the accent to a certain extent or the edges of the accent that can make it slightly harder to understand but I think Brad's point is key and where I live now in South Warwickshire it's probably a little bit accent neutral so that's where my daughter was born and has grown up so occasionally I think she speaks quite posh (laughs) 
would be the way. And I think it's just because there isn't an accent and, and I'm not used to it. And I teach her some black country words and she now thinks she can speak a second language already, rather it being an accent. But I think the point around that friendliness is, yeah, I think it's back to that stereotypes of perceptions of certain accents and what they perceive. And black country Birmingham accents can also be perceived as lovable, cheeky, that sort of thing. So I think maybe that is why some people can feel more relaxed when somebody like that appears at their house and coming inside. Right, so on to our little test then. Uh, I did ask you uh, to come up with a short phrase which you need to deliver in your strongest accent and that phrase needs to be virtually indecipherable to anybody else's ear and then you can actually translate it. So does anybody want to go first? I can go first to put you at your ease. So being from Manchester, this is how I used to refer to these people. But anyway, in Manchester, you'd say bin man, bin man. And nobody outside Manchester would really know what you were saying until you slowed it down. What it meant is, has the refuse collector visited mother? So bin man, bin man. And that, I think, is probably as really undecipherable communist phrase that you get in Manc. So, right, over to you, Martin. OK, it's quite hard to put an accent on when you do it, so I'll just try and do it. So, um, <laughs> you know, you need to wash your donnies and them all sticky from the suck you've had or you'll end up all riffy. Something to do with underwear. <laughs> no, so basically you need to wash your hands as they're all sticky from the sweets you've had, or otherwise you'll end up all dirty. All oh, right, okay, that's cool. And Brad? Yeah, I struggled with this one a little bit, but I guess, so probably something like, bruv, you having a bubble or what? Right. Which is a bit of Cockney rhyming slang because that's, you know, stuff that, and it basically is like, bruv or mate, are you having a laugh? So bubble bath, laugh. Okay, brilliant. Well, excellent. Well, thank you very much, guys. And I think on a positive note, you've got two people here who have done extraordinarily well with accents. And, and again, all it does seem to do is to slow your rate of progress if you have the talent. So don't be shy. And I think unconscious bias is now very much a thing. And it's an irresistible force that is being recognised in very many places across lots of HR departments, but especially in financial services and whether that's unconscious bias towards accents, race, gender, sexual orientation, all of it is under challenge now. So bias, hopefully, is going to be a short-lived thing when it comes to career progression. And the sooner that happens, is the better. And thank you very much to Brad. Thank you very much to Martin. And we hope to see you next time. Thank you. If you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible, make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.